Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. The move of Transition House to 310 Division Street is controversial. Supporters view it as a chance to modernize the system to help those who are homeless and in need of services. Then there are those who are concerned about the new location. These people are worried about community safety, their homes, and their businesses. On today's show, it is a deep dive into the new facility. Public meetings are taking place. A new executive director is at the helm of Transition House. Meanwhile, members of the public, politicians, and the police are among those voicing their thoughts. In the first segment, you will meet Ike Mwibe, the new executive director of Transition House. You will get to know him. He will talk about his background, his experience, his philosophy, and his aspirations for the new shelter. In the second segment, Weebe and Neil Ellis, the chair of the board, talk about the public meetings. More about that in a moment. But first, Ike Weebe. I'm so pleased to welcome to Consider This Northumberland the new executive director of Transition House, Ike Weebe, and the current board chair, Neil Ellis. Welcome to Consider This, gentlemen. Thanks for having us, Rob. Ike, I'd like to start with you. You call yourself a professional social worker and an entrepreneur. What makes you an entrepreneur? Uh, entrepreneur in the sense that uh, I have championed a number of uh, initiatives in the past. And then I personally don't believe that everything should all be about making, making, making money. It shouldn't all be about profit, but it, we should kind of uh, meet in the middle, sort of like address a social need but using uh, social, uh, address it through proven uh, methods that, you know, you're able to get something out of it, maybe to continue the supporting that particular social cause while you are, you know, while you are actually addressing a, a major need in society. So based on that, I consider myself a social entrepreneur and then, you know, uh, that's pretty much it. How did you become a social worker? Um this is uh, some years ago, just after my high school education, I came across an opportunity to volunteer in a, uh, in a community center that was into um, supporting individuals who were uh, like, uh, you know, living with HIV and AIDS. And then I, you know, that kind of got me interested because I, I've always been looking forward to opportunities to be able to educate young people about how to keep themselves safe and things like that. So I started out as a, as a, as a peer educator in the area of HIV and AIDS, adolescent reproductive health and all that. And then from there, I went on to volunteering in various international uh, uh, you know, initiatives. You know, it took me to different countries. I went to the UK. I went to the, to the Philippines, where I participated in uh, uh, a, a rehousing project uh, for uh, scavenger settlers on dump sites. And then, you know, I went to Kenya. I went to South Africa. 
and uh, you know, on different different projects. So at a point, I decided, okay, this, it's it would be great to 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 build a career out of this, and then like settle down and then start working on, uh, uh, you know, on like identify a particular project and sit with that. So back in 20, uh, 2012, I was on a World Bank supported project in Lagos, Nigeria, where I took part in, in this project that was designed to improve the quality of public uh, education in Lagos State, Nigeria. And uh, you know, I supported about 640 secondary schools across the state. And um, you know, so that's actually where it all it all started. Then afterwards, the decision to move to Canada came about. What have you done in the past around community development and engagement? Um, one of them would be like that of the one. One of them would be that of the uh, the rehousing project in 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 Cebu, Philippines, for instance. That one came about because we had a group of people who were homeless. They weren't just homeless, but they were also, uh, uh, of course, they were homeless. They didn't have means of livelihood. They didn't have, they were not well fed. And thinking, you know, so it was just a collective of so many uh, challenges. So we're looking at how do we address this? And then you can't just come in, from my experience, you can't just come in and then like as the expert who knows how to, how to turn people's stories around and everything. So it was all about getting to know the people and then see how to get them to be involved in the, in, in the, you know, in the process of turning their own, like getting back on their feet and things like that. So that didn't just uh, happen by, oh, let's build them a bunch of houses and everything, but it was all about engaging them in skills building workshops so that they could become employable. And then some of them even participated in the building project itself and things like that. So it cuts across negotiating with politicians, negotiating with uh, policymakers in the, you know, in the, in the, um, in the city. And then now getting involved in the project itself, where uh, at the end of the day, we're able to, to rehouse a, a, a lot of people, you know, out of the, the dump sites where they, were, where they were living at the time. Can you share a success story about an individual or a person whom you have helped to transform their life? Um, I... I used to work in a homeless shelter as a, as a case manager when, uh, but focusing in the area of housing. So I came across this individual who had been homeless for 12 years. And then from my research, I got to, well, like finding from the past case notes, I got to know that they were housed at some point. And then um, lost that housing again and then ended up back in the shelter. And uh, when I started, you know, I just, I wasn't approaching it from the place of, oh, I'm here to help you. I, you know, interacted with him as uh, somebody who was just interested in building a relationship with him and everything, because I needed to understand what was the thing. So every time I see him, I greet him. 
you know, check on him, how is he doing, things like that, without bringing up anything to that has to do with, uh, you know, housing or things like that, because I felt he wasn't interested, he hasn't come, you know, come around yet, until uh, a time came when I started uh, like a, a weekly workshop where I talk about how to maintain housing, you know, what are those options, uh, housing options out there, you know, and then when you do get house, what are your responsibilities as a tenant? What are your, you know, your rights and things like that? What are those things that you should look out for in a, in a lease agreement? Those basic, basic things. And then I noticed that that individual would always look forward to that, you know, session. And then that was when I felt, okay, SIMC is beginning to show interest in housing. And then I met with him, we completed the application for uh, rent get to income. We completed all kinds of applications. What I used to do is look at all the resources available and complete as many applications as possible for them because you're not sure which one is gonna come, uh, come first. So to my surprise, one of those, uh, uh, you know, I think they did it based just like the by name list that we currently have, uh, the system we have now in, uh, in Cuba. And, he was called to come for an interview and uh, they checked all his uh, uh, you know, documents in terms of taxes, in terms of uh, income and all that, and everything was in, in place. That was how he got, uh, he got housed. And then one of those days I took, I remember taking his uh, mails to him because the mail were still coming to, to the shelter. So I took it over and when I delivered it, I was on my way out of the place, still on the hallway. Then I, I heard him call my name. So I turned back and then he said, thank you. So that thank you was not like the, you know, the thank you that you hear on a daily basis. To me, it meant, you know, it meant so much that I was close to, you know, uh, tearing actually. So that is one of those stories of um, transformation that I can think of. So many times people will look at those who are struggling with so many challenges. They may be homeless, they face addictions, mental health issues. They may be people who are like those living in the encampment in the East End of Coburg. And politicians will often say, these people have to ask for help before we can do anything. Is that true in your mind? Um, I, um, the thing is that we need to be like when we talk about low barrier in our, you know how we approach our, our approach to supporting people that come to our door. Um, we need to be to be uh, observant of the fact that not everybody processes rules the way we do. Not everybody is at that level where they can they know that okay this is how I need to do this is what I have to do to be able to turn my stories around. You know, the people are at different spots of that of the you know of that spectrum. So, not uh, sometimes we might be we might think that we have it all uh, taken care of because we have done what we're supposed to do and all that. Back in Toronto, I heard uh, one time uh, somebody says we are all just two paycheck away from actually being uh, you know. So as funny as that can sound, that, there's some truth to that, you know. When we say that 
people have to be able to come to us before we can offer them, you know, uh, that support. I I do not think that that's an approach that will, that, that is uh, inclusive. I do not think that that's an approach that uh, ensures that the the most vulnerable members of the community are actually taken into uh, you know like the, they're being considered when those kind of statements are being made or when any such plans are being made. We need to understand that there are individuals who are struggling with extreme mental health concerns. There are individuals who are dealing with uh, you know substance uh, you know use uh, challenges and all that. Of which I should I should also mention that you know when we talk about uh, substance uh, use, many people think oh it's the homeless folks and all that. But there are so many people who use all kinds of substances. You know what we use whatever it is that help us deal with that help us cope with whatever it is we're coping with. So for some people it could be alcohol, for some people it could be coffee. You know different you know different things. So what individuals choose to use that's totally you know, their own uh, work. But as a community, we have to now ensure that we have the resources in place to be able to support people whenever they have come around, whenever they feel like, okay, this is the time I should get help to be able to help myself. We shouldn't wait on them to be the one to approach us and say, oh, we need help before we start putting the resources together. Those services have to be in place to actually ensure that those who need them have been, uh, you know, they have them available to be able to support them. So that way we can actually confidently say that we are not only existing as a community that serves only the privilege, but we're existing as a community that is sensitive to the needs of the, you know, of the most vulnerable in our, in our community as well. How do you think Transition House can help people who are challenged like those in the East End encampment? So uh, we uh, we have been supporting uh, uh, this. Uh, I would say we have been our doors have been open, and then we have tried as much as possible to make our approach low barrier. That way, the requirements, like you know, when you need to maybe apply for housing or anything like that, you would always have a bunch of requirements. You need to meet this. You need to meet that. But that's not the case if you're accessing our services. So we reduce, uh, we make it low barrier as much as possible so that everybody, regardless of what challenges you're encountering, regardless of whatever it is you're going through, you're able to access those services. So that's we have been doing. And then we constantly look at how we can do more of that, which is the idea behind, for instance, you know, our new, our plan for the new facility at 310 Division Street. In taking over the building at 310 Division Street, I know these are early days, but when you think about it, what are you hoping to do that may be different than what has happened in the past? Um, I think it can all be summarized in, uh, in uh, one statement, which is that we want to restore the dignity of the, per of the human person. We want to you know, uh, ensure that those who are accessing our services they're actually getting that with that respect that they deserve, that you know, uh, privacy that they that every one of us gets. We all go get to go to our own homes and all that. So currently, we you, you know people, uh, you have a number of people all in the same room on bunk beds, 
with the design of the new facility, it ensures that each person has their own space. That helps them to be able to process whatever it is they need to process, to be able to work on whatever it is they need to work on. And then, you know, um, with the support of our staff members, they're able to get back on their feet, you know, in no, uh, in, in, in no time. Neil, when you hear, like, talk about this, what are you seeing that's different with, under his leadership already? Thanks for the question, Rob. Ike brings just a, a wealth of experience, which we've already heard of uh, from him just uh, explaining some of his past roles um, just this morning. Um, and so Ike brings that level of experience and competencies uh, to Transition House. Uh, he's worked uh, in global settings. Uh, he's worked in larger settings um, through his experience in Toronto. And bringing that into our situation here in Coburg and uh, Northumberland, it's just that that level of expertise that 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 we need and that knowledge base. Um, and his he's familiar with larger settings. Um, you know, he looks at he looked at the house and saw the house before he ever accepted the job, uh, and and thought he was coming to one thing, and then uh, and then we let him know that there there was a change on the uh, the horizon, and uh, the excitement in his voice uh, when uh, he heard that announcement uh, from me, and uh, it's just it's just so refreshing. Um, and he's brought a great change um, at our at our board meeting the other night. Um, he uh, just laid out the work that he's been doing uh, with staff over the past couple of weeks that he's been here um, and the plans that they have moving for, for the future um, to help uh, provide uh, more capacity for our staff to do the work that uh, that they're doing, um, arranging uh, exposure tours so that staff can see how other shelters operate in other municipalities uh, to then bring back best practices into the work that we're doing here at Transition House. Uh, so we're so we're greatly encouraged by what we've seen and by what we're, we're, we're moving towards uh, in, uh, in the future. It's just been fantastic. Ike, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. Where are you from originally? I'm from Nigeria. Uh, yes, I'm from Nigeria. <laughs> Thank you. And, and when did you come to Canada? This was in 20, 2018. Now, do you have a family? Yes. Um, do you have children? I have a daughter and then, uh, yes, I have a daughter. My wife and I live in Toronto and, uh, yeah. Now, do you hope to live in the area? Yes, eventually? that's actually the plan. We, we, they, I was telling Neil that the, um, this opportunity came at a time when my wife and I were looking at, uh, um, you know, like moving into a family-oriented area, like where we can raise a family, where we can, you know, like that, being, you know, away from the, you know, when you look at a place like Toronto, it's so busy, you know, and all that you want a place where, you know, you can actually, uh, you know, your neighbors, you know, uh, the members of the community and things like that. So this came just about that time we started asking those questions and then, uh, you know, it was uh, it was like, oh, how you know how better can he get? So, uh, in uh, as we move on, we uh, plan to eventually uh, move uh, down to to Cobra. Who is someone you consider a hero, or someone you model yourself after? Um, first would be my dad. 
and then my, my dad and my mom, uh, in the sense that growing up, we were taught not to not only be concerned about ourselves, but always about people around us. So back home, we don't have like shelters. We don't have, uh, you know, uh, I didn't grow up to know about shelters, uh, homeless shelters or anything like that. Uh, community centers or anything because each person is actually their own community of you know the community that the other person has so uh, if it's normal for you to come into households and then you see a lot of people in the in the house and then you wonder who are all these people you have all these children and then they start explaining to you know this one is uh, these are my own kids but this one is my cousin, this one is my nephew, and then they start counting them. Yeah. So that's how we address our own issue of uh, you know, homelessness from the, from the past. But lately I've heard all kinds of projects are beginning to come up and all that. So, but that laid a strong foundation for me in the sense that I do not only look at uh, how does an issue, you know, like if I'm okay, then everything is okay. I look at the fact that if I'm okay, then those around me also have to be okay. So currently, uh, my wife and I support kids in uh, in uh, Nigeria and Uganda. You know, we support them in uh, their school fees and uh, you know clothing and other school supplies and things like that. With the belief that if we can do that, we are sure that they, to an extent, we have contributed something to their future as well. And then. Um, we can also lift the burden of some of the struggling parents. Some of them are orphans. Some of them have a single parents and all that. So you know, this wouldn't have happened if not for some of those, uh, you know, uh, learnings that I got from my, my parents. And then in terms of role models uh, in the society, I look into, uh, like I read about the life and times of, uh, for instance, Nelson Mandela, uh, you know, um, you know, someone like that. I look at okay, how did they get to where they got to, and all that. Those, those decisions they had to make. How did they get to a point where they were not just living for themselves, but actually living for for the community that they were serving? That was Transition House Executive Director Ike Wibe. Up next, what's taking place at the public meetings regarding 310 Division Street? Please stay tuned to consider this on Northumberland 89.7 FM, your truly local source for news. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. This is Consider This Northumberland and I'm your host, Robert Washburn, and you're listening to Northumberland 89.7 FM. Last week on the show... You heard Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff express his concerns around 310 Division Street. You also hear Deputy Mayor Nicole Beattie acknowledge community safety as a major issue for politicians, especially during the 2024 budget public input. Community safety is a critical issue. With the East End encampment, rising calls for service for the police, property crimes and other indicators, it is front and center. On social media, there are discussions whether Coburg is no longer a feel-good town, as the slogan goes. In this segment, two key people, 
Ike Nuibe and Neil Ellis talk about meeting with the public. In the interview, they will respond to concerns, issues, and specifics about 310 Division Street. These public meetings are incredibly significant. It is a chance to be heard. You can decide if they're listening. Neil, I'd, I'd like to start talking about Transition House moving from its current location on Chapel Street to 310 Division Street. And I understand that you held the first of several public meetings recently. How many people attended? Yeah, we did. Um, we're in a, a partnership with Northumberland County and doing uh, some sessions of community engagement. So this past week, we held two in-person uh, small group sessions. So they were capped at uh, 25 people uh, each. Uh, one was held Tuesday afternoon and one in Tuesday evening. And that was the, the number size was to just facilitate good discussion. Um, we'll be running two more sessions like that um, online, again, capped at 25% uh, participants that uh, individuals need to register for. And they're scheduled for next week, Thursday and Friday. Uh, and then we'll move to a larger online question and answer period where anyone can uh, log into that online session and participate. And then and that's on February the 6th. And then on February the 12th at uh, the Legion, Coburg Legion, we will have uh, an open house um, where people can come and uh, speak directly with uh, Transition House uh, um, you know, staff. I'll be there. Ike will be there. Board members will be there as well as other community partners will be there. Um, so that's the process that we're engaged in right now. Who are these people? Were they neighbors, business people, others? Some of them are neighbors of Transition House. Some of them are uh, uh, residents in the community who are uh, have questions about what we're doing. Some of them have concerns about uh, what we're doing. Um, others came and were supportive of what we're doing, but wanted to uh, ask some more questions and, and get some clarification on, uh, on how this would all roll out and what the impacts uh, would be. Uh, so, it, it, you know, a mixed group um, were, were there. I would say definitely there were more people there who had questions of concern just how does this work what does this look like what does this mean and the sessions that we held this week and the ones next week they're primarily for us to listen and hear concerns so they're less about us providing an answer right now we want to hear what those concerns are and what those questions are uh, and then as we move through the engagement process with the Q&A and the open house then that's more of an opportunity for us to respond to some of those questions uh, that have been brought forward. Were any of these people, people who you've interacted with before? I, I know there's been concerns in the past and there's been interaction between the community and Transition House. Did you recognize anybody in these sessions? Yeah, we recognized a few people. Some of the individuals who uh, who have come to the sessions have corresponded um, with the board and sent the board directly their their concerns. Um, and our other ind and their individuals that are that are known in the community that uh, have expressed some of their concern as well. And they brought forward very good points, very good conversation. Um, and and we're it's it's good to be engaged in the conversation in this way um, and to have the dialogue. Um, that's something that Transition House historically hasn't been good at, um, and it's something that uh, that we're, we're moving in moving forward. We want to be more engaged in in community and in dialogue, and that's one of the things that we liked about Ike when we were look, searching for a new executive director was that he had a proven track record of engaging with community, um, and and that attract as a candidate that was attractive to us as a board. Um, 
Ike, what kind of concerns were raised? Um, there were concerns around uh, like security, around uh, you know like people disturbing the peace in the in the in the uh, like on the streets and things like that, uh, and um, some of this you know like the priority like Neil mentioned, uh, we are like passionate about engaging with the, the, the members of the community. Like it's a priority for us to be able to come together and then look at addressing the challenges that affect us as a community and not just um, be focused about what concerns us as an organization. We understand that, you know, there will be certain challenges that we can address. There will be certain challenges that yeah, it's like, across board, it's not something that you can just uh, expect one party to address. It's something that various stakeholders have to come together to address, which is a good thing about, um, you know, what is happening, this engagement that are currently ongoing. Well, it helps we, us to understand. We issues. all talk about this, though, in, in, in generalities. Uh, you know, people, we talk about concerns and challenges and, you know, groups dealing with things. I, I mean, were any business business concerns raised? Did any local business people come out and say, and, and what are they concerned about? What are they worried about? I, I believe, I believe that there, there, there are, um, there were representations, you know, like there are people who were at the engagement who own one property or the other, or who run one business or the other, or something like that. And then the same concerns were, you know, around security, around things like, you know, I kept hearing things around um, the the downtown core not being a safe, uh, not being as safe for some people anymore, and things like that. But it's uh, um, that's another thing, you know. Like since the engagements are still ongoing, and then the reports are going to come eventually, I have my concerns about that. But I maybe I won't comment so much of it, at, you know, at, the, at this at, the, at this point. Well, I, I definitely understand and appreciate why you might not want to do that. But community safety is a huge concern. Like people are saying, Coburg's no longer a, a feel-good town. Um, there's a priority identified in a public survey in the 2024 budget that placed community safety very high. They want more money spent on bylaw enforcement. They, you know, the police are looking at hiring more officers. How is this not going to make things worse, as some people fear? The, the, I think it's important that we look into, um, we look into addressing issues that affect us as a community. And then to be able, and also draw the line, like be able to separate, for instance, what is homelessness? What is, you know, what is Transition House doing about it? What is the community, what is the county doing about it? What's the council doing about it? And then what is also uh, the encampment? Because for some, uh, like when you listen to certain conversations, it's as if encampment equates uh, transition house uh, and then uh, homelessness and then and all that. Like when it's, imp I mean, it's important for us to know that for every maybe one homeless person that you encounter, who probably you heard them making uh, uh, you know a noise in the neighborhood or something like that. 
there are several others who are actually engaging, you know, and then are interested in making their own, uh, like getting back on their feet. There are people who are using our services who are in school. There are people who are using our services who are employed. There are people who are using our services, you know, who engage in one skill training, uh, skill uh, training or the other, and all that. And then there are certain things that, yes, uh, transition house is doing whatever we can to be able to address them, but some of these things can are not what uh, should. It, it won't be unfair on the organization to say, oh, if that's for you to deal with, because these are issues that affect us as a community, because. I, I try to think about what if transition house is not here? Will these challenges still be here? For me, the answer is a yes. And then with transition house not being there, wouldn't that be a case of those issues not being, you know, like something not being done to be able to address, address those issues? So we are trying everything we possibly can. And then we're exploring other avenues to be able to address these issues that you know affect us as a community. And then we expect, you know, something similar from other other members of the community as well. Neil, in an interview with Coburg Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff last week, he expressed concerns about 310 Division Street. He's concerned about the density of people and the impact on the surrounding neighborhood. He said right now the warming room, the encampment, the shelter are all split up. And he said bringing them together has him worried. Have you spoken with him and how do you respond to those concerns? So Ike and I actually had a, a really good uh, sit down with uh, with the chief and his deputy, uh, I think that was last week, um, really good conversation, um, and I think a really good foot forward in terms of, of continuing with uh, the positive relationship that we have. The concerns certainly exist. Um, you know, right now, Transition House operates out of three different locations, our 10 Chapel um, Street location, which is the main house, um, the Warming Hub, which is operating out of St. Peter's Anglican, which is just around the corner. And then we op operate 15 shelter beds out of a local motel, um, which is up near the, you know, up closer to the highway. Um, and so we're going to bring all of those, uh, you know, three services down into, into the one location. Um, we're going to uh, maintain approximately the same amount of shelter beds we currently have. Um, actually, we're going to reduce it by, it's going to go down to 35 uh, when we open um, at, at the site. And we're going to bring the warming hub into to the ground floor. One of the advantages is uh, we're, we're going to have a 24-7 warming and cooling center, right? We're uh, right now at St. Peter's. Uh, we're in there for 12 hours from uh, eight, 8 in the evening till 8 in the morning. So by doing that and incorporating some of the services and programming that we're, we're working on developing for that warming hub, and, and, and so we're, we're probably going to move away from that warming hub term because we're going to be open in the summer too. Um, but that drop-in center um, of having some resources and community building and capacity building out of, out of that. Right now, it's a space where people can come and they get out of the cold in the winter. Uh, the plan is to make it more of a hub uh, for other opportunities uh, for individuals um, and to give them uh, somewhere to go. There's certainly, we have, we've heard um, the, the concerns uh, from the chief, we've heard the concerns from the community and a Transition House is, is ready, we're willing um, to engage with, uh, with the community, uh, with the municipality, uh, with the county um, as we're asked to do so. Uh, there's a lot of talk 
talk in the the community about uh, agreements and community liaison committee uh, uh, committees. A lot of reference to what's happening uh, in uh, a Durham with the the, the Durham Whitby agreement there, uh, and we're paying attention to all of that. We are we're up to date on all of that information, and we're sort of. Um, at a stage where we're waiting, you know, councils work in certain ways, they have to pass motions. And so we're waiting for to be engaged, but we're an active partner with uh, community social services at Northumberland County. We have regular conversations with our counterparts there about the work that's going on. Um, and we're ready and we're willing to engage with the community to make sure that we uh, appropriately address the concerns. Uh, because what we want to ensure is that the community itself feels safe and indeed is safe. And so we want to make sure that we're, we're doing the best we can with the covert police and bylaw um, and with our neighbors in the area. But also within that, we want to ensure that our clients' needs and their concerns aren't also lost in that, that that's an issue that we need to always remember that these are individuals who live in our community. Uh, there, there's a lot of talk of, well, this is going to attract people from outside of our region. Uh, and our numbers don't bear that out as being true. Um, these are people who are from Coburg or from Northumberland County um, that we're serving and caring for. Uh, and so they live here too. Um, and we need to ensure that, uh, that their, their dignity as persons is, is well cared for. Uh, and we wanna provide the opportunities for them for, for wellness and wholeness so that they can move forward uh, in positive ways with, with their lives, whatever that might end up looking like. Neil, the property is purchased. The property is, is there, purchased. Is there anything that people can do to stop this? I don't know that there that there is. You know, we're moving forward that this is 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 going to happen. Um, but we're as I as I said earlier, we're in we are an active participant in the engagement process. We want to have these conversations. We want to know what the concerns are, and we want to make sure that we can then make the proper steps to address them. A lot of the concerns that are coming forward are things that we have already been having preliminary discussions about. And so it's good to have that affirmation of okay, we're not off base here when we were thinking about this this might be a concern uh, and then there's some other things that have come up and we said well is that is that our lane is that our role um, or how can we be a part of 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 that specific concern that maybe is being addressed right um, so we just want to make sure that what we do um, that we do it well um, and that it happens well I mean we're we're moving around the corner uh, we're going to manage the same amount of beds, offer, this, offer the same core services that we're currently offering, but we're going to do it in a way that can uh, that, that moves people out of dormitory style living in bunk beds, increase their level of, of privacy that they have. We hope that that will lower the level of anxiety that they're experiencing and, uh, and uh, create opportunities uh, for them to engage in services and build capacity for them. But with all due respect, you say it's going to be the same number of people. It's not. You're moving into a, a building that has could have 45 beds. So it's it's it, it, I, I I don't see the correlation there. Uh, it's not. Can the I same. say something? It, yeah, oh. please. Okay. So the the with the current setting of the current facility where um, transition house operates out of. We have potentials to engage with different uh, partners, paramedics, you know, Ontario Works, ODSP, uh, the mental health uh, services, and so on and so forth. 
But the challenge is that we don't have, uh, like we're constrained when it comes to space, where they can have like that uh, uh, space to engage with their clients and have confidential you know, conversations sure. or to do examinations and things like that. Yeah. So that's something that the new facility, with the new when we move to the new facility, that will be addressed. So we are currently engaging with these partners to ask them, what do you need? You know, what are those uh, challenges you experienced when you were supporting us? And then, so based on all this feedback we got, we're like, that will be incorporated into the into how we operate and in, in the new facility. So clients have a space where they can have their confidential, you know, they can have their privacy when it comes to maybe meeting with a medical doctor or meeting with a, a, a paramedic or something like that. So those are all spaces that will be uh, provided for in the new facility. So it's not all going to be like, uh, you know, space for, for shelter beds. But, but you will have the capacity to serve more people just by the mere fact that you're going to have a drop-in center, that you're going to have these offices, that you have this space where, you know, you could have theoretically up to 45 beds. Obviously, you're going to have some services. It's not a, it's not exactly a one-for-one. One. It's not going to have a, nothing's going to change. I mean, there's a lot that's going to change and it'll, it, it will draw more people. And I guess that's what I was trying to, to get clarified was, is that, you know, it's it's not a it's not a one for one. If I'm if I'm hearing this correctly, and please if I'm wrong, correct me. But that's what it sounds like. The the oh sorry, Ian. No, I think that you know that you you look at the building and, and you know it's forty seven independent units and you know, you're like yo forty seven units and if you put two beds in each one suddenly you're pretty much at a hundred and I think that there's that fear that's going around in the community and our commitment is that we're going to be opening and operating with those thirty five shelter beds plus the the warming room drop in center which could be upwards of twenty people and that's the same amount of people that we're we're serving right now. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that might be 55 people that are in and out of that building on any given day. And that seems like a big number, um, you know, but that building is big enough and designed to hold and and uh, and work with that amount of people. Um, you know, uh, we have three floors where we have those uh, accommodations in those rooms. Uh, part of one of those floors, we're gonna be modifying into uh, some of the rooms into office space uh, for our partners. And so we'll end up giving up some of those 47 uh, units for other purposes. Um, Initially going in um, the fourth floor, uh, we, we won't be using it all initially. Um, we've been thinking about and it's very early concept phases. I mean, we need to get in the building as we exist uh, first. But what would happen? What could happen uh, if we were able to uh, model a transitional housing type program and use that on the fourth floor? Um, and that's aspirational thinking. That's you know twelve to eighteen months down the road uh, to develop the program and the funding and and whatever that would look like. Um, that that's down the road. Um, and I think that we also have to be aware that you know as COVID continues to grow. Um, as houses continue to go up in our community and, and the population growth that's estimated for, for our, our community and the county as a whole, um, you know, it, it, the plan is, is to grow, that we're going to see, um, especially if we are unable to keep up with the affordable housing and affordable rents, we're going to see more and more individuals who fall through the, the cracks of the housing market um, and start who start experiencing homelessness. Now, whether that becomes a transition house expanding or whether that means 
means other services need to be developed within our community or within the county as a whole, I don't have an answer for. Other than that, as a, as a home, as a wider homelessness system, and that's the part that we have the conversation with, with Northumberland County and our other partners, the community is going to have to find ways to respond to that and what that looks like as we grow in the future. And so this, this, this opportunity says we could provide a better shelter experience for people experiencing homelessness, and we have the potential to maybe open up the beginning of the housing continuum with transitional a transitional housing model. Um, and that serves our community and that helps our community. Um, and, I, and that's a positive and I think that that's a win. It comes with concerns. It comes with questions that need to be addressed uh, internally uh, as an organization and externally as a larger community. And we're committed to having those conversations in appropriate ways. Mike. There are always cynics out there that say, or they may say, this is just an exercise in political theater, that in addressing concerns and all you're really trying to do is just placate people by holding a bunch of public meetings. How can you assure people that their concerns are going to be met, that they are going to be heard, and that changes will be made to ensure that public safety and community safety is honored uh, looking at the 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 design of how um, the public engagement is uh, is being done, so we start with receiving receiving feedback, and then that's concerns from members of the community who participate, and then we move on to the you know the question and answers session where you know those uh, questions that are that are being asked there are. Uh, members of our organization, members of the uh, you know county uh, office and uh, other stakeholders who are there to be able to address some of those concerns and everything. But one thing is one thing is clear though. The the purpose of this is not. I mean, this is not one of those engagements where you just put it out there so that it's on record that indeed we engage people and all that. No, it's actually an opportunity for us to really understand from the different uh, uh, members of the uh, community, uh, different community groups. We also have a segment that is uh, targeted at our own clients and then, you know, individuals who are in the homeless community as well to be able to understand their own views on all that. So at the end of the day, all this would come, there will be a report on all these concerns and everything. So it's intended that this would eventually go into uh, the plan for the for three three ten division. You know, we um, will be able to see from not just from transition houses uh, perspective, but from the perspective of other groups, other members of the community, and all that. So with all that, we would be able to look into: okay, are we actually on track? Are we are there changes we need to make? Are there what you know? Are there things that are under our control that we can address? Are there things that other stakeholders, you know, in the in the in the community have to actually take ownership for, and things like that? Which is actually the reason why we are engaging the various stakeholders as well: the police, the paramedics, and you know, various other uh, other departments. Aikinui Bay, Neil Ellis. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having us, Rob. Thank you.
I appreciate it. That was Transition House Executive Director Ike Muibe and Chair of the Board Neil Ellis. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Consider this.